I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my All right, another Made for March podcast. Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki, happy you could join us as College Hoops is underway, Ty. What a time to be alive. We've got games to actually talk about and discuss on the podcast today. A Champions Classic that I'd say lived up to the hype, right? Two pretty good games. Great games, great atmospheres. I don't know if you heard, Tim, but there's fans back in stands now. College basketball games. It's a beautiful thing. It's I don't know if you've thing. heard also, but it's Coach K's last year, too. This is breaking I may have news. Heard, yes. But yes. Little, little birdie told me a little before. Yeah. Amazingly, I don't know if you saw, but they had a 15-minute tribute at MSG during the halftime. All the other coaches, the Izzos and Calipari's of the world were talking uh, about Coach K, honoring him. I'm sure they had a lovely time doing that, and it's all well-deserved for Coach K. But I will say Duke was very impressive in this win over Kentucky, and I actually thought Kentucky was going to win that game. I felt pretty good that that Kansas was going to win against Michigan State, and we'll get into that game. We'll also get into just some other general thoughts from the opening night of college hoops because there were some interesting games outside of this. But in the Champions Classic, those were the two games that everyone was focused on. We'll start talking about Duke and Kentucky because, to me, I wasn't necessarily disappointed in Kentucky. I just walked away thinking – wow, Duke is like legit really good this year. And I'm really scared that Coach K might actually make it to New Orleans and end his uh, <laughs> career there. <laughs> You're shaking in your boots there. A Tar little Heel bit, Tim. yeah. Tar Heel Tim's getting some shivers right now down his spine. You know, it's funny. You say you feel really good about Duke coming out of that game. I'm not going to lie. I, I think I feel better. Or I think the better word is relieved. Obviously, Duke won the game. They put on the better performance. They really were in control of that game from nearly start to finish. Well, um, but I think I feel more relieved if I'm Kentucky. And, and here's why. You have a point guard. I mean, Severe Wheeler was fantastic in this game. He was making play. I know he turned the ball over a lot too, but the 10 assists, the 17 points, he could kind of do whatever. You just felt comfortable with him out there as your point guard, I felt like. And, and I think for a team that was longing for one last year, this was a real breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's good, too, because Ty Ty Washington, who a lot of people think might be the point guard down the road or be one of their better players, and he might be the only guy on the roster for Kentucky, which is weird to say, that is a true NBA talent, right? Like, it's kind of an odd Kentucky roster that doesn't have a ton of blue chip recruits, maybe. I mean, they're all very talented players, don't get me wrong, but it's a veteran group, and Ty Ty Washington really struggles in this game. I wouldn't be too worried if I'm Kentucky because... He played about as bad as he can play. I think he was, what, 3 for 14 or something? I don't have it in front of me, but he really struggled. Yep, 3 for 14. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. So he struggles from the floor. He looks just kind of overwhelmed by the moment, similar to kind of how Max Christie looked for Michigan State, and we'll get into that yeah. game. But that's to be expected from a freshman. And Kentucky, they actually kind of took some punches in this game, and there were times where I was ready to turn it off or just sort of count them out. And they did sort of hang with Duke for 40 minutes in this game. They lose 79-71, but they were kind of down all game, and I kind of felt like they were never going to win. But at the same time, it's pretty impressive, given how Ty Ty Washington played, that they were able to still stay with Duke, who I think is very good. I think this is a classic case of the the can't-get-over-the-hump sort of game, where 
Kentucky would pull within two, pull within one, sometimes tie the game, but they can never really get past that. There was one moment early in the second half where they yeah. did, and then Duke kind of went on a run, but then Kentucky came back and pulled within four, and all of a sudden things were interesting again, but then Duke pulls away again. It's just one of those classic situations where, okay, you can't get over that hump. You, you need to get over the, the tie. You need to take the lead at some point, and they just could never really do that. Right, as someone who... Had a little bit of money on Kentucky. I never felt like they were going to win up, the game. up, I was there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were just hoping that if you got the three and a half, you could cover. Exactly. And I did sort of feel like I should have live bet Duke at halftime because even at the half, it was the way the first half went. Kentucky made some threes. Kellen Grady, he missed some threes down the stretch, but I thought in the first half he was pretty much doing his part. And Duke didn't make any threes in this game. They were one for 13 from downtown. So it's pretty impressive they won, given that. But that's going to be their calling card this year. I don't think they're going to be a great three-point shooting team. But even at about halftime, I was like, yeah, this feels like a game that Duke's going to win by 12, unfortunately. Because I did think Duke and the way their freshmen look just ahead of the curve. We'll talk about Bancaro, and he deserves a lot of talking. But also Trevor Keels comes in and scores more than him. Like, I was not expecting him to look that good. 25 points, that was absurd for a guy that, yes, is a five-star freshman, but was considered the second-best freshman in his class. Third, actually. Yeah, maybe. I think he was was actually behind A.J. Griffin, but the way that the positions shake out, uh, he kind of gets the nod over him. But one of the things that it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Champions Classic game with R.J. and Zion, like, RJ was the big internetsman. He was the big hoop mixtape guy. Everyone knew who Zion was heading into the contest because of the fact that he he had the dunks. And Paolo's kind of right there. He didn't outscore Trevor Keels, and Trevor Keels kind of looked like the RJ out there. And, and that was kind of cool to see um, how they've got all these different options. And, and Keels looked fantastic in this game. He Again, he made the lone three in the game, a team that didn't shoot the ball very well, but he could kind of score at will and did a lot of really good things for this team. And then Bancaro was Bancaro. I mean, he, he had seven rebounds to go along with the 22 points, and he was just hyper-efficient in this game. Hyper-efficient. I, Again, we talked about this in our preview series. Finesse and power. Not many people have the, the, the combination quite like Paolo Bancaro. I'm ready to buy all his stock, which is unfortunate yeah. as a UNC fan on this <laughs> side of the mic. But look, he had 22-7 and seven in this game, and I didn't even think he played that great. And he missed some time no. with the cramps. It just felt like such an easy 22-7. and seven. And his jump shot looks textbook for a guy that his size, his strength, and just the way that he moves for a guy that's his height. We'll talk about Chet Holmgren at some point, too, because he's kind of got that in him as well. And I think this is an awesome freshman class that is going to be really fun to track this year in college basketball. But to me, right now, if I'm betting on a guy that's going to be national player of the year, I feel like. Paulo Mancaro is the guy at this point. Just the way that he easily got to 22-7, and seven, missed some time in this game against a Kentucky team that has some guys, but it just felt like they had no one that could guard him in this game. Keon Brooks in the first half tried, and he just had nothing for him, and that was his first game. And Bancaro seems like a guy that is getting better by the day, the way Coach K is talking about him as well, which is really encouraging that he hasn't hit his ceiling at all or is nowhere close to it right now. And he's got LeBron putting him on his yeah. Instagram story and tweeting at him and all that stuff. I mean, 
he's probably going to win player of the year just based on that merit right there. I mean, he's got LeBron's vote, so he must have the basketball writer's vote. You look at the specimens, too, in this game. I mean, it felt like there was a a game of of basketball that broke out between linebackers and tight ends. I mean, on one side with Oscar Shibwe and Keon Brooks and and even, I think, like, Severe Wheeler would be a nice little running back out there. Right. On the other side, you look for Duke, it's Trevor Keels, it's Paolo Bancaro, Mark Williams, A.J. Griffin, Theo John. It's like all these different guys. Duke's going to be a physical team this year. And, and that's something that they've kind of missed in their DNA, I think, for a, a couple of years now. But they're going to out-physical a lot of these teams. And, and, I mean, you see it in the rebounding margins as well. Um, they, they, they didn't necessarily win the rebounding battle in this game. But if you were, there's not a lot of Oscar Sheboys out there. Let's put no. it that way. He was and, unbelievable. And, he, I mean, 12 offensive boards in this game. I, I can't remember ever seeing a, a player get 12 offensive boards in a game. But he, Duke isn't going to see that in the ACC this year. And I think even though they may have lost the, the rebounding battle here, I think they're going to win a lot of them down the road just based on the personnel that they have. No doubt. I really am ready to overreact to Duke, I think. I, I was really impressed by them. I don't know about you, but I didn't have them in my I will woodens. Yeah. I think K is the only person that cares about the the Champions Classic, about like actually winning the game. Yeah. I think all the teams like being there. K care, especially this year. K cares most about winning it, and <laughs> you could kind of tell that with his team in, in this game. It is funny you say that because the way that John Calipari and Tom Izzo were post game, the two guys that lost, they were pretty chipper. I felt like, and they kind of struck me as two guys that almost felt like they knew they were going to lose those games, and. Even Cal, he talked halftime, uh, and he was just like, yeah, like we're actually playing pretty well. We almost lost two exhibition games here, and we're hanging with the Duke team. So I don't know if that's a good thing for Kentucky and Michigan State fans or a bad thing. I guess it's good that they're still sort of optimistic, but I do think Duke and Kansas are two legit national title contenders, and I felt that way about Kansas before uh Tuesday night but I don't know if I felt that way about Duke and I'm honestly pretty ready to say that after what I saw from Duke and the ACC just maybe not being that great makes them kind of the tip the top of that conference and the chances of them sort of steamrolling through that conference are probably decently high for me I will say this I do want to see what Duke does and how they fare against a really strong three-point shooting team yeah because that that could bode some problems for them down the road they're not Really going to see one for a while. Probably have to wait till ACC play. Gonzaga can shoot the three all right, but I want to see them against a a three point shooting team. So they're going to. But isn't face K- a I mean Kentucky's teams. got shooters like more than last year for sure. That was their huge problem last year. Like Kellen Grady, they added some guys, and they were without CJ Frederick in this game, who's going to be one of their top shooters. But yeah, I do mm-hmm. think this is a Kentucky team that can make some threes. They went seven for 18 from three in this game. That's 39%. It wasn't like that was their weakness in the game, but you're right. Duke's maybe going to be vulnerable to that. But they didn't shoot a lot of, like by, by college basketball or just by basketball standards in general, like you see some teams firing away 23, 25 times. Can Duke withstand that the, the, the barrage per se from three point. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. You want to move on to Michigan state, Kansas? Let's do it. All right. So, Ochai Abaji, we got to start with him. Big mm-hmm. fan of him. We have been on the podcast for a while. We have been I think. for a while, yeah. Yeah. I think we've been kind of calling for this, like the breakout year. He's got more than he's led on to this point, and he almost goes pro this offseason. He said he was very close to doing so. He probably wouldn't have gotten drafted, and this is an awesome sort of 
testament to guys and reasons why they shouldn't go pro, maybe. Like, we see it all the time now. Anyone that's in doubt goes. He is now, comes back, he's going to lead this Kansas team probably all year, and he was phenomenal in this game on both sides of the court. 29 points, best game I've seen him play. I think Bill Self said as much post-game. And now I feel like he's vaulted himself into the conversation and maybe being a lottery pick this year when he was going to go undrafted last year. So he made the right decision for sure. Absolutely. And I kind of said this too in the preview show that we did. It's like Oshaya Baji feels like he's the, the Quentin Grimes this year almost for, for college basketball. And he showed it. And in the game where they didn't have Jalen Wilson and they're not going to have him for the next two games either, this was a really, really positive sign that he can be the guy if you need – because – Looking at this Kansas team, you thought the guy would have been Remy Martin. Crunch time, you need a bucket. It's probably going to be Oshaya Baji at this point because he's just the veteran. It's a senior-laden Kansas team. Those yeah. are the best Kansas teams that we see. I mean, look at the starting lineup here. you got guys like McCormick, Oshaya Baji, Remy Martin. Christian, Christian Brown's going to come off the bench. He's a junior. Uh, or he started in this game, actually, because of Jalen Wilson. Um, and then you've got even guys off the bench, like Jalen Coleman-Lands is on like, he's his 35. 15th team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he, he's, he's actually 25, though, at this point. which is shocking. Yeah, like, yeah, he actually is, yeah, <laughs> um, which is crazy. But they have so many vets on this team, and it's, it's guys, too, who have won, and, and that's so important. When you look at Abaji, he's he's won big games. McCormick's won big games. They've won Big 12 titles. That stuff matters. It's one thing to have experience. It's another thing to have winning experience. Because experience is, if, if all you know is losing, it's not going to help you at the end of the day. Right. So a puzzling debut for Remy Martin. You brought him up a little bit there. He enters the season as the Big 12 preseason player of the year. He led the conference for the Pac-12 in scoring last year. His calling card is scoring, right? That's what we know he can right. do. He comes to Kansas. There's been some turmoil there. He didn't start. He was kind of benched in one of the exhibitions, maybe for not sort of buying into Bill Self's philosophy. And then he comes down the first half, and I feel like he almost listened to Bill Self too much and just wasn't even looking at the basket, which was almost like watching someone take away his secret stuff or something. Like It was like watching right. a movie and seeing a different character. It just felt off to see Remy Martin playing that way, but... I guess I'll give him some credit that he's clearly committed to winning and he's clearly committed to changing his style and his role for this year's team. If they can sort of unlock and find the right balance for him and maybe because he did come out, he finishes with 15 points. He came out at the start of the second half and maybe there was some encouragement from his teammates like, okay, we, we need you to score a little bit here. Like look at the basket at least because at the start of the second half, he kind of looked more like the Remy Martin we saw at Arizona State. He doesn't need to be Remy Martin from Arizona State on this Kansas team, but if he can just be like a spark plug off the bench type guy and they can unlock the right balance there, then they're really looking good. I think it's almost like a reverse Devin Booker in a sense where he had he's coming in as this guy who's a scorer and he's finding other ways to impact the game, finding other ways to help his team out. He had never really won anything. At Arizona State. He was just a guy who got buckets. He was labeled the empty calories guy pretty much. But now he's coming in with a little more, a little more of a, a structure to, at Kansas. You've got guys like Abaji and McCormick who know what it takes to win a conference title. It almost feels like the reverse where he's almost coming in and joining Chris Paul here. And I, I think that's going to be a really good thing for this Kansas team. It, they're going to be strong. I mean, this was the performance you got without Jalen Wilson. Right. And when he comes back, 
and, and they start getting more and more starters in, this is going to be this is going to be a dangerous Kansas team. And I'm not listen. I'm not buying the Baylor hype like some other people are. So it, this could come yeah, down to I'm Kansas and Texas uh, duking it out, which is going to be a great run for the Big Twelve at the end of the season. So they played 10 guys in this game. I don't think they're going to continue to play 10 guys. Now, they don't have Jalen Wilson, so they'll at least play one more rotation guy. But I look at a lot of these names that you've already mentioned here, and just to sort of re-say them, Remy Martin, David McCormick, Christian Brown, Ochai Abaji, Daywan Harris, Jalen Coleman-Lands, Mitch Lightfoot, Jalen Wilson. If that's your eight, and I think you could even throw in Pettiford as well, like there's other guys that will be vying for some right. minutes but that eight i just laid out i guess the question going it into might the season, be the best yeah like that's that's awesome really really good eight and i didn't think they were going to score 87 points in this game i thought they were going to maybe win it like 70 to 60 or something but the way they scored without jalen wilson and the way that abaji the question mark with kansas the past couple years has been who's the alpha who's going to be the guy that's leading them and that was something I was even asking when we did the preview podcast, because I'd rather be a guard than David McCormick just because of foul trouble right. and matchup issues and stuff like that. If Abaji is a true All-American this year, then I just don't see them losing many games. Like, they're going to be really good. He he went full, I'm the captain now, last night, yeah, or two nights ago. Like, he, he did. And that that's a really, really good sign for Kansas. If he's going to take this leap and become this senior that is just everything that college basketball loves. A, he's a senior. B, he can get buckets. C, he plays for a blue blood. Like, that that's the formula for being a national player of the year, isn't it? Yeah. And he goes out on opening night and, and does that to Michigan State? Like, he's going to put his name in the conversation. I know you, you dropped it with Paolo, but Oshai Abazi certainly entered the chat there. Right, dark horse candidate, that's probably one guy I'd be targeting. Now, we could be overreacting because these are the teams that have played on the national spotlight so far, so they already have kind of a little bit of a bump in that regard. It'd be, you know, if Chet Holmgren was playing in the Champions Classic on night one, maybe we'd be talking about him, and we'd just still be waiting to see from Paul because Holmgren did have an awesome debut against a lot more inferior competition, but still, I think on the Michigan State side of things, I don't know if they're going to be worried. I'm, I'm worried. a little worried. Yeah, it's just they're kind of going to be like eh, all year. I think I don't think they're going to be quite as bad as last year or on the bubble, but they're in a really tough conference. And I don't love the idea of Tyson Walker being one of their best players because we've seen a lot of point guards make that leap and sort of struggle. And I guess you've seen in the Big Ten as early as last year, Mike Smith kind of make that leap and be really solid. But Walker struggled in this game, and he just looked like a guy that wasn't really ready for that skill level jump from CAA to basically going against one of the most athletic and most promising teams in the country. I'll say this. like They brought everyone back, but is that a good thing? Like They brought so many guys back. Well, they didn't bring back Rocket Watts, which that's probably a pro, right? Yeah, no, I should should, uh, revise my statement. They they brought a lot of people back. Sure, I I agree. I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, Looking at how much this team struggled, I mean, last year, like let's call it what it is here, this team made the tournament based off of a little heater they caught at the end of the season. Like yeah. they were a they got bounced in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. 
I didn't think that they were really a tournament team. You, you look at the wins that they had down the stretch. They beat Indiana, Illinois, and, and Ohio State. That Indiana game was on the road. And then you close out the season beating Michigan. But you beat Michigan after playing them three days earlier in a rivalry matchup. And, and you got absolutely crushed. I don't know how much Michigan was really playing for at the end, too. It, to me, it's almost like with, with UCLA how we're talking about Michigan State in such high regard because of a little heater they caught at the end of the season. I think that's right. what we saw with UCLA, how they're getting all this bump because they were in the Final Four last year when, in reality, they played five really good games in March, and that kind of determined their fate. It's also, if you played the same game with Michigan State, all right, who is their eight guys? I think Max Christie is going to be awesome. He's going to probably so be a one-and-done dude that will settle in and score a lot of points and be on SportsCenter. Let's and- put it this way. Who that returned last year inspires confidence? Pe- Joey people Hauser, want it to be Joey Hauser. I think, But I think people say Joey Hauser, but it feels forced. Uh, yeah, I mean, it felt forced in my voice there. Like, Bingham is probably yeah. their best returner, Marcus Bingham. But I still don't know if he is a starter on Kansas. I mean, that's probably unfair. He probably is, but I just don't. How many, let's put it this way. How many big 10 centers is he better than? Not a lot. Cause there's a lot of good big 10 centers, right? Right. And at the end of the day, you're going to need a a really good center in this league in the big 10. If you want to be among the best of the best this year, I'm concerned that they're relying too much on Tyson Walker. I know I said that earlier, but I think he's going to be a solid player for them. I just don't like the idea of him being basically their go-to guy at the point guard position. They just need Max Christie to be phenomenal in order to be a top Big Ten team this year. And while I think Max Christie is going to be good, I don't know if just him being good gets you to a level where you're competing with the likes of Illinois, with the likes of Michigan at the top of the conference. Right. Listen, if your best player is a freshman this year in the Big Ten, I don't think you're going to have a lot of success. Yeah. Like, just just look at the conferences. I, I don't think you can have a lot of success that way. It's not the right formula. So were they you... they have a tough non-con, too. I mean, I'm just looking through their non-con. It's like, you start with Kansas, and then you got a cupcake with Western Michigan, and then you travel to Hinkle to take on Butler, neutral site against Loyola Chicago, home game against Louisville in the Big Ten ACC, like... And then you, you take on a Toledo team that's just outside the top 100 in Ken Palm. That's not an easy non-conference slate. Yeah. Yeah, they might lose some of those games, honestly, that you just laid out. I think my general synopsis, quick takeaway from the Champions Classic, Duke and Kansas, slightly better than I thought. Kansas, probably about what I thought, but I was already very high on them. Kentucky, about what I thought, maybe a little bit worse, but maybe it'll just take I a think, little bit more time. Yeah, uh, with Kentucky, it's like I feel very relieved that you have a point guard. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway with Kentucky. Yeah. You have to be extremely happy because you lost that game, but the way that Severe Wheeler played, that's going to win you five or six games alone he based also on how was, he played. It was as a long as he's not turning the ball over. For him, though. You know, like he turned the ball over a lot down the stretch. The tough part with him, I think he was a lot better than I thought. And in the first half, I'll give him a lot of credit. He was really good in the first half and like blew me away how good he was. But... It felt like in the second half, there were times where he just looked really small. I don't know if that's like yeah. just me. He just It feels like he can't really score in traffic around those big Duke guys. Now, maybe against other teams, he'll be fine. And I guess he's more of a distributor anyway, but it still concerns me a little bit that 
He was doing that thing where you drive in the lane and then you do like a U-turn, basically. Just the circles, yeah. Yeah, You're running going circles. to the basket. But listen, if there's one guy that you can do that with, isn't it Oscar Shibway? Like, it, it feels yeah. like the pieces, the, the puzzle is there, right? I think it'll I, work I against Jim- some teams, but against elite teams, I don't know how effective he is going to be at scoring near the rim. That's my only concern. But I don't think he'll have to because at some point, Ty Ty Washington is not going to go out yeah. there and brick every shot he takes. I and agree. you're going to... and. Like Kellen Grady, I felt like was a little underwhelming. I felt like you saw some shots that he took. He missed some open looks. There were times where you're like, oh, that Davidson Kellen Grady makes that shot. But Kentucky Kellen Grady with inside the garden with a, a raucous crowd didn't make that shot. And it's just one of those things where I think this team is going to get better. I don't know if the, the lights were too bright for some of these guys because, again, this isn't necessarily a young Kansas or a Kentucky team that you're looking at here. I mean, you got Grady, who's a, a senior transfer. You've got Toppin, who's a junior. You've got Wheeler and Shibway, both are juniors. Keon Brooks is a junior. Really, the lone freshman that saw significant time in this game was Ty Ty. Yeah, Ty Ty is gonna get good. He he looked like he will he get just, good. Yeah, he just looked like someone that missed a couple shots early and got rattled and couldn't get into a rhythm. And he probably was forcing it a little bit, but even Calipari said that he basically told him like, go be you and go force it. Like go score for us. Yeah. He just has to learn. He's a freshman. Like the game will slow down for him a little bit. You want to, you want a positive from Ty Ty's first game? Yeah. Didn't turn, didn't turn the ball over. No, that's good for, for, for a freshman in, in that atmosphere against that team. That's a really good sign. Yeah. All right, Especially so, against a physical Duke team. Right. One and done. My guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. Has a doctorate degree in one and done, right? <laughs> so moving on, there were a couple other interesting things, and we will preview. There's some great games this weekend. Two top five matchups that we'll get into later on in the pod. But I just want to hit on a couple quick things that also happened on this opening night and kind of opening week in college basketball. Virginia lost. They were the only ranked team to lose to an unranked team. And they lost to Navy at home, 66-58. to I'll say, I watched a good chunk of this game. Mm-hmm. It did not feel like Navy pulled off some upset based on miraculous shooting or somehow, despite less talent, they were able to... It felt like Navy's roster, honestly, was not that far off talent-wise from Virginia's. And they led the entire 40 minutes, basically. They were in control. They made more winning plays down the stretch. There were also down two starters, Navy. I don't know if they're significant contributors, but it wasn't like Virginia was the shorthanded team in this matchup. And as much as Virginia will probably be all right because it is Tony Bennett, they just don't have much talent, man. Like, it's really Blake. It it, it almost reminds me of what we were saying with Hauser. It's like when Kihei Clark's your best player, it it feels forced. Yeah, like you walk into a YMCA tomorrow... And you see Kihei Clark, I don't think you're batting an eye, right? And I, I guess yeah. that's just a small guy thing. But at the same time, like, he would give all those guys the works. Like, don't get me wrong. He's a decent player. but He's a great he's, defender. Like, yeah. you ask any player in the ACC who they don't want to guarding the them on a final shot, they'll tell you Kihei Clark, even though he is only five foot ten. Right. The, I guess what I'm saying is they don't even sniff being ranked if their coach isn't Tony Bennett. And the fact that they were ranked. I think ranked, you're right is a total testament to Tony. They might be the least talented roster that was ever in a preseason ranking, honestly. Here's what I'd say, and I told this to someone too. Putting them at 25 was the absolute right call because you go out there, you see what you got in the early portion of the season. You've got another game against Houston. You play Iowa. If you trip up, 
all right, you you know what they are now. And if they go out and win and prove it, then okay. Then they deserve, they deserve, they at least, Tony Bennett deserved the opportunity to be, I guess, kicked out of the top 25, I right. would say, then have to earn his way into the top 25. So here's their seven guys, just for the listeners. Kihei Clark, Reese Beekman, Al Franklin, the Indiana transfer, Jaden Gardner, the ECU transfer, Kadeen Shedrick, Cody Statman, Francisco Cafaro. I just, I mean, that is, they don't have anyone else besides that, by the way. Like, that is their seven. If one guy gets hurt, I don't know who else is going to play because that's kind of it. And there's no blue chip recruits in there. Jaden Gardner is probably the most talented player, and he's a 6'6 guy that has made his living by scoring inside against inferior competition. I don't know how well it's Mm going to translate to the ACC. I would just put it this way. If they were in a video game right now, like if it was NCAA College Hoops, and you had to add up all those players' ratings and then average it out, their rating would be just as good as like Clemson or some of these other ACC teams that are not being looked at as top of the conference. It's just all Tony Bennett, which I think it should be. I think they should get a bump because of Tony Bennett. I love Tony Bennett, but I watched a lot of that game against Navy, and it did not feel like Navy was the team that was way behind in talent. It honestly felt like Navy was right up there with them in talent. Well, even think back to the really good Virginia teams. What did you always say? It was if you fell behind, they were always going to have a tough time coming back just because of the pace that they play and the game that they play. Yeah. The difference now is you don't have a Ty Jerome. You don't have a, a DeAndre Hunter or a Kyle Guy or a Malcolm Brogdon or, or a London Parentis. That guy isn't on the roster right now. And they're going to really struggle, I think, to find their offense. They didn't shoot the three ball well unless – there's some sort of magic three-point elixir that finds its way to Charlotte, Charlottesville, I should say. I, I don't think yeah. this team is gonna be all that either. Yeah, and, and as don't a get larger me wrong, Tony Bennett's gonna win them a couple games right. too, just yeah. on his pure coaching genius. But it, you can kind of feel like the—I'm not gonna say the shine is gone, but I just don't want to see him turn into like Mike Bray or something like that. He won't. He's too good of a coach. I think we still have to You'd give him so. a lot of credit. And I uh, and listen, I I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, yeah. you, you look, we we laid out the roster here. I guess the counter argument is they didn't have that great of a roster last year. They were still at the top of the ACC. I believe they were still the one seed and won the regular season. Yeah, they you know almost lost to Syracuse in the first round. Maybe didn't play great from that point out, but. At the end of the day, they were still a lot better than people thought last year. The only year they haven't been good was two years ago. And every other year, they've kind of outpicked their count. coverage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. history suggests that they'll be fine. I just To put them as a ranked team going into the season, when you look at that roster, is almost baffling to me. And it's, it's really like Tony Bennett's one of the best coaches in the country, and that's the only reason that they were ranked. Right. And listen, that's fine. I, I, I have... Very few qualms with that overall. Um, but, I, I, again, Virginia should have been given the chance to kind of dethrone themselves. They did, so we can move on now. Right. Are you worried about the ACC as a whole? I mean, they didn't – the Citadel beats Pittsburgh, Miami of Ohio over Georgia Tech. A couple just sort of surprisingly close games in the conference. Yeah. I, I'm a little worried. Here's Here's where I sit with the ACC right now, okay? I think Duke obviously has the best win in the country right now, which is very cool and very good. Like Duke needs to be good. It, it this yeah. conference is going to come down to what is that middle tier like? 
And because that's that's essentially the health of the conference. Because okay, the overall ACC, it might be cool if it's if it's like a dominant Duke year or Florida, if it's like a two horse race, Duke and Florida State. But you still need the depth of the conference to step up and and pull their fair share as well. Like, what is Virginia Tech going to be like? What's Syracuse going to be like? Louisville didn't have the most inspiring effort. North Carolina, can they get into that? Will they be I that I think UNC is going to be good, in my biased opinion. I, I thought yeah, they looked I, good. I, and I, I know Tar, Tar Heel Tim's probably wearing his baby blue right now while right. he's saying that, but, like... I, I want them to be good. Listen, like everyone talks about how how the NBA is in a great spot right now because the Lakers have LeBron, the Bulls are good, and the Knicks are good. Like that that is perfect for the NBA. You are a Boston Celtics good team away from being the like Adam Silver is at its peak, at is is yeah. thriving as commissioner. Um, but what will these other teams bring to the table? It's going to be Syracuse, Louisville. Um, I'll even throw Virginia into that conversation they they have heavy influence on the health of the conference right. and then notre dame and and louisville all those teams are going to be the most important ones in determining how good the conference is and like if it's a splashy program like syracuse or louisville then that's a really good thing yeah i would say we've been on this for a while the sec being the conference that is rising and the conference yeah. that is stock up and if I had to pick a conference right now that is stocked down, it's the ACC. That doesn't mean that I think it's like going to be a bad conference all of a sudden. But while the SEC continues to get better, the ACC just year over year continues to prove that it may have been sort of on the downside of its peak at this point. I don't know. I just Duke and UNC are kind of in this weird state. I actually think those are the teams that we can count on to be pretty good from that conference this year, weirdly, though. And Florida State has really risen to be a successful power there, but there's just a lot of, eh, like, some of these rosters I'm just not that inspired by in the ACC. You know what? You know what uh, the bad investment here for the ACC it feels like? Like, this is the the team that they needed to be really good and just has not paid off? It's Syracuse. Like, like the regular seasons that Syracuse has put together, it feels like some of the big-time field to some of these games, and, like, they'll go out and, and... they haven't done very well in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They, they've they gone to Madison Square Garden and flopped more times than not, it feels like. like. Those are the games that this conference needed. And when they brought in Syracuse, you thought you were getting this big basketball power. And, and I know they've been to the Final Four. They've been to the Sweet 16. And that is all good for the ACC when you're touting right. them as a conference. But some of these regular season games, it, it would – like if Syracuse was perennially in the top four – of the ACC and they would drop a game every once in a while here or there to say a a Clemson or a Georgia tech or a wake forest. Those might be the wins that elevate that extra team into the NCAA tournament. And and those just, I mean, beating Syracuse is not something that you've really put on a resume ever since they've joined. No, that's a good point. I think you hit it right on the head when you said the middle of the conference, it feels like the bad free agent signing to be honest, ever since they joined back in, (laughs) what was it? twenty. 13, 2014. Right. All right, so a couple other notes, and if you've got anything far away, too, that stood out to you from the opening night, I just want to – the ETN shot was just absurd for Wichita State. Oh, man. Have to say something about that. I also would shout out Imani Bates. He had 18 points in the debut for Memphis. He was great. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the Athlon Sports Magazine, and they ranked the top 100 players in college basketball. He wasn't on the list, which (laughs) I don't really understand because he's probably – 
top 10, top 15 most talented players. And I get he reclassified, and so did Jalen Duran. I don't even think Duran was in the top 100 either. I just don't understand why Memphis wasn't getting talked about a little bit more. And at the same time, though, Memphis has had great recruiting classes under Penny Hardaway, and they haven't really done a thing. So this is kind of that make-or-break year, but it's off to a pretty good start. Absolutely. I, I will say this. Who, who are you more impressed by, Amani Bates or Jalen Duran? I didn't watch, but I would say from highlights, Bates, just because that felt like it came across my timeline a little bit more. But if you watched, you tell me because I didn't actually watch the game. I like half watched it, okay? Okay. I will say it got like, so I've got the three TVs set up. I've got one with the little quad box going of just ESPN games, one that had the Champions Classic on, and then a smaller TV that just kind of caught whatever game was out there that kind of caught my eye. Yeah. Memphis did grab that that bottom screen. It was in a in a screen to itself. Um, and just from watching, like, listen, they were both great in this game. Dur- Duran had 15 points, 7 to 10 shooting, 6 rebounds, 5 blocks as well. Wow. Um, but I feel like the, the highlight play to me was Duran catching a pass, dunking the ball, and then, like, his heels clicking the bottom of the backboard, it looked like. And so I feel like it's going to be the, this back and forth all season long for who who is winning the matchup of the freshman here. And I'm going to give point number one to Jalen Duran. I, I really think he, he won the first game. I know like Ken Palm gives out its game MVP and it goes to Monty Bates. He had the highest offensive rating. But yeah, I, I listen, Memphis is all about the, the flash, not necessarily about anything else this season and, and, and really any season as of late. And I think Duran won the flash off here. Okay. All right, so we want to get into these top five showdowns. I got one more. I got one more. Okay, I have one more. Um, How about Ohio State? Are you worried? Yeah, I'm a little worried. EJ Liddell was awesome. I'll give him he was great. Twenty five, but not good. I mean, Akron is a decent team, but you shouldn't be having to win on basically a buzzer beater against them. I mean, they let up what two four point plays in this game? Yeah, and in big moments, like. You need a, a high, like you'd think a, a Chris Holtman led team would, would be coaching and or the coaching would be, you, you wouldn't have these sort of mistakes, I should say. And, yeah. and that, that I think is the frustrating part. I do think that you've got obviously talent on this team. You bring back a number of players. And in this case, like this isn't Michigan state, like bringing back players up for, for Ohio state is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to some development out of cer- certain guys too. Like, like um, Arns taking the next step, Zed Key, Michi Johnson, like those are guys that I'm super intrigued by in their next steps. And I think the one guy that kind of holds the keys to the success of this team is probably Michi Johnson. Like we know what EJ Liddell is going to be, but can Michi be that guy who is that just rocks solid guard who who can kind of lead a team? And I don't know if he can be right now. Again, very early in the season, you're going to go through your hiccups early on, but. I would like to see a little bit more from Michi. Yeah, I would also include Houston in the category of am I worried? Because I felt like they were definitely going to lose that game at one point, and they almost lost to Hofstra, came back yeah. and won in overtime. They're, they play got Virginia. some things to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> right. Is that a, a lo- loser misses the tournament game for you? Loser leaves be. town type of matchup? Yeah. yeah, it could be. That's coming up in a little bit, right? I was trying to remember uh, Yeah, it's in like two weeks from now. Okay, yeah. Well, this weekend... Some good games. I will say, 
incredibly late tip times. I don't know if you've noticed this. Oh, yeah. I, I, when they were showing the promos, it was like Shulman's like, stay up late with us, 1130. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa, like that, that's even late on the, the West Coast, 1130 right. Eastern time. So we got Villanova at UCLA Friday night. It is a literal 1130 tip. Like, is this NBA Warriors against the that's Lakers? That's not even like, that. This is like Hawaii football. Yeah, this is absurd. Like I've never seen you're, a tip you're, this You're late. chasing late on a Friday night. This is Hawaii football. I don't really know why it's that late, because maybe it's like jet lag for Villanova. I don't know like why. And then the other game is Texas-Gonzaga. That's a 1030 tip out in Washington. I mean, I get it. It's West Coast. I get that some of our listeners maybe are like, oh, it's perfect time for me. And you're on Central time, so you're in a little better spot than me, but... And it's the weekend. I'll be fine. I'll stay up. I'll watch. I love college basketball. But would I rather it be in the actual primetime window for two of the best games of the early season? Yeah, I probably would. I don't really get yeah. why they wouldn't do that and get I, more viewers. I don't understand, and maybe you you know better than I do, but why, why is Nova UCLA taking place on a Friday? Like, yeah, I don't like, get it. Let's I don't have an that. explanation. Like, there are never good games on Friday. Friday is like my one night off where I don't really watch college basketball. I'll watch the Big Ten game that's on on Fridays, but outside of that, like, there's not a lot on Fridays. Yeah. I guess like Feast Week, you get some, but this is something where it's like, what are you doing? But it's Saturday it, it at 3 o'clock. It makes no sense. Just this make, is I guess Pac 12 shooting itself in the foot again. Are they worried about like college football? I don't, I don't know what the logic was here. But anyway, it's going to be a great game. We'll talk about it because I'll be watching, even though it is ridiculously late. And at the beginning of the year, I think I was a lot higher on Villanova than I was UCLA. So I feel like I have to get on here and say Villanova should win this game. But at the same time, UCLA is the home team. And UCLA kind of knows their identity a little bit more right now because they basically are just running it back with the exact same team. And they inserted Miles Johnson, who has looked pretty solid. Who's going to start, I think, in this game because Cody Riley doesn't look like he's going to play. Yeah, it's a good point. So Miles Johnson's back there. I do think Villanova has a real rebounding issue that Miles Johnson could exploit and is kind of a matchup nightmare for them. But at the same time, Villanova looked great as well in their opener. And I think Villanova is a better team at the end of the year than UCLA. So I feel like this is kind of a toss-up. You look at Villanova, and the nice thing for them is they've got the shooting, a la the, their championship sort of run teams. You look at guys like Justin Moore. He goes 6 of 8 from 3 in yeah, that first game. Bra- yeah. Brandon Slater, 5 of 7. You, you've got veterans on this team that know how to score, and that's that's really nice for this Villanova team. I, I don't know. I'm pretty bought in on, on Villanova. They're obviously not going to be a very big team, and that's something that Miles Johnson and, and the rest of UCLA can probably exploit a little bit. Um, but... Yeah, you look at UCLA, they're the 23rd tallest team in the country right now versus Villanova, who's outside the top 70. So there's obviously going to be the height mismatch there. And I I don't know, I I still like Villanova. Again, Jay Wright, I I don't necessarily mind them on the road in those matchups, but it's going to come down to three-point shooting, I think, in this game. And I think Villanova's got the horses to run. Both teams have very good three-point shooters, um, but I, I lean slightly with with uh, Villanova and how they'll perform in this matchup. Yeah, I want to say that the rebounding concerns me. Like, they only out-rebounded Mount St. Mary's, who, by the way, they crushed Mount St. Mary's, and they were a tournament team last year. Yeah, they, like, really resounding performance in this first game from Villanova. And Justin Moore looks great. 
Brandon Slater, who you mentioned, is kind of been a revelation for them. It seems like everyone in the offseason has been talking about how much he's improved, and he has replaced Caleb Daniels in the starting lineup, who Caleb Daniels was an incumbent starter for them, basically. He started every game yeah. but one last year, and Slater's just gotten better. And so they inserted him in the lineup. He looks great in this first game and kind of lives up to the hype. They've got Gillespie and Samuels, who feel like they've been there eight years. And Gillespie was fine in the first game because he's kind of working his way back from injury. But I don't I just feel like it's tough to play on the road. And it's also tough to play on the road when you're constantly maybe getting beat up on the boards. And I think that could happen in this game to them. Here's what I'm wondering. UCLA final four hangover. I I think Hmm. that could be a real, real talking point this year. And, And just like. The, the guys are kind of feeling themselves after a long run last year that was kind of unprecedented, and then you come out and maybe you struggle early on, especially in big games, because you think you've got it all figured out, but meanwhile on the other side, you got a Villanova team that not only has kind of done what you've done, but they've also won the big one, too, Yeah, and that, that could be, I think, a, a bit of a problem. Yeah, I'll I'll say Villanova wins because I'm higher on them as a team this year. I don't really buy the UCLA hype that much. And also, I think this is a veteran team that if you're asking for a team to go on the road and win a game earlier in the season, Villanova, yeah, that's kind of the makeup you're looking for. And similar to the way that they beat Texas last year after Texas won Maui and was kind of buzzing, like Villanova and Jay Wright, they'll just figure things out. You can count on them to come through in big games. So I'll lean. So your them. spread here is UCLA by four and a half. Mm, good line. I think that's the 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 dogs are barking there. Yeah, I I guess I would take UCLA at the spread because I was pretty close to just taking them straight up. But at the same time, I think if Villanova wins, they win by six or seven or more. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's going to be a fun game. That's Friday night, 1130. Stay up, drink your coffee at like 8 p.m. to find a way to stay up if you are on the East Coast for that one. The next game Saturday that we're going to talk about. There's some other games, obviously, this weekend, but these are the two headliners. The Saturday game, Texas at Gonzaga. And I'm very curious to see how Gonzaga looks because I'm also yeah. very curious to see how Texas looks. But I think there's a lot of talk that. Gonzaga is just going to be like Gonzaga of last year. And to me, early in the season, this is a much different team than last year's team. And I don't see them kind of boat racing teams the way they did last year, if that makes sense. I'm with you. And and it may come down to guard play. Again, this is a really good early season test. And that's not something new to Gonzaga. Like last season, they, they played their first four games against top 60 teams and just kind of blew the doors off of everyone. It felt like from start to finish. I mean, even like I, I the the game that I point to last season when it was like, all right, Gonzaga's for real was when they beat Virginia and they left no doubt in that game from start yeah. to finish. And they won by like 20 something points in that game. And I don't know if that gear is in them. Obviously, they've got really, really good players. Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy. But it's going to come down to, I think, Andrew Nemhard. And what he because this team is losing some really strong guard play from a season ago. Yeah. When you look at Joel Yai and and Jalen Suggs, like you don't just replace that overnight. I feel like, and it's gonna fall on guys like Nemhard, Rasir Bolton. If those guys, I'm not saying they have to be a Yai and Suggs, but if they can't come close to that, 
with Gonzaga's non-conference schedule, I mean, you start with Texas, then down the road you've got UCLA, Duke, Alabama, Texas Tech. You could find yourself in a little bit of trouble here because right now you're the number one team in the country, but there's going to be plenty of opportunities to lose that mantle as well. I don't think Gonzaga's taking an undefeated season in the conference play again. I just don't I'm see it. I'm with you. I, Neither do I. I also don't think they're going to win many games by 13 to 15 points. Like They just crushed some of these really good teams last year, and Chet Holmgren is amazing. He was really like probably not talked about enough for how good he was in his opener. He goes 14 points, 13 rebounds, 7 block shots, 6 assists in the opener. First time that a college basketball player in the Division One has gone 10-10-5-5 in a debut as a freshman. Like, I know it's Dixie State, but that's pretty phenomenal stuff. And the way he plays, I caught some of the game just because I was curious to watch him play. He is a true unicorn. It's going to be fun to watch him on a national stage this year and play against some really good teams, and this is our first chance. But I kind of like Texas definitely to cover in this game. What's the spread? Do you have it? Uh, seven and a half right now. And I'm with you. Yeah. I like Texas to cover again. No Mark few in this game either. Good and point. That, yeah. Cause not only are you missing your top guy, you're also for a lot of these guys, you're missing your number two with Tommy Lloyd now being the head coach at Arizona. So you're kind of without your top two dogs in this game. Like, yeah, you can do that against Dixie state, but can you do that against Texas? I don't know if right. you can. And also drew Timmy, is really good, but it's not like Texas doesn't have bodies to throw at him. Texas is still probably in a stage where they're going to have to figure things out, and there's a There'll good chance. There'll be some chance, growing pains for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that Texas looks a lot worse in this game than they will in Big 12 play in two or three months here. So I don't see Texas winning this game, but I also feel like Gonzaga is going to have some growing pains this year, and I don't see Gonzaga staying number one for the entire season. Like there's a chance that I see Gonzaga with a 12 or a 10 next to their name at some point. And there was no chance of that last year. And I just think it's silly to say, okay, Gonzaga was really good last year. They're preseason number one again this year. So they're the same team. They're going to just play the same way. They're a totally different team from last year. So you'd be naive to say that they're just going to roll over the competition. It's going to take some time with this team, but they're still really good. I'm, I'm with you on there. I don't know if it'll ever get to the, the 10 to 12, range like yeah that might be you play you play four teams ranked seven through 11 in ken palm in your non-conference slate actually five teams seven through 14 i'll throw texas tech in there i still think they probably go mm, i want to so i'm trying to talk myself out of four and one i'm I'm trying to talk myself out of four and one and i just don't know if it's gonna like i think this team will crush ucla i think this team will will beat Texas. I won't say crush Texas, but they'll beat Texas. I think they'll beat Alabama, and then it's going to come down, and I think they'll beat Texas Tech. The one that might give them a little trouble is Duke. And, like, they, Ken Palm's projecting that as a seven-point win for, for Gonzaga. So, right. it's, again, Ken Palm's projecting them to go undefeated this season. Based sure. on, on what and, and like the chance of unbeaten record right now is nineteen and a half percent, but they're projected to win every game, and I think their lowest win probability is sixty nine percent. So um that that to me is I'm trying to talk myself out of four and one and I just can't uh, in that five game yeah. stretch there. So 
I will say Vegas seems to kind of know what we're talking about a little bit because I thought when you were going to say the spread, you were going to be more in like the nine and a half to nine range. And if it, it opened seven, up eight and a half and it's yeah. already dropped a point. So I feel like, I mean, I'm looking at the Ken Palm rankings and they have, they have Texas at 11, but still they have Gonzaga winning this game by 11 points. That feels way too high. Seven and a half feels decently right to me. I would still lean Texas if I was picking that game, but I say all this, I guess what I'm saying is Gonzaga should be the number one team in the country. They should be leading the odds for national title. I think that's all well and good, but they also don't have Mark Few like you brought up. And it's just going to take them a little bit to become Gonzaga this year. As much as they are the new Duke or the new powerhouse, and I think they're still going to win a lot of games and stay up near the top of the rankings and dominate in their conference, and they probably will end up being a one seed. I also think they're drastically different from the Gonzaga they were last year, which was arguably the best regular season a college basketball team has put together. I look at it, it kind of similarly to what we said about Virginia, too. Like they, sh- You're bringing back Drew Timmy, the preseason player of the year, right? You should be given a chance to be dethroned, and we'll find out. We'll find out if there's a team that can that can overtake. Right. Like if they go three and two or two and three in, in that five game stretch that I brought up. All right, then we're gonna realize that they're they're mortal. But I, I listen. You have Drew Timmy and you have Chet Holmgren, and I think you'll have steady enough guard play from Andrew Nemhard. And, and to me, that's enough. I, I don't know how good the depth will be. You've got some solid freshmen and, and some sophomores on this team, but the, again, the, they. They're still really good. I know we're trying yeah. to talk ourselves out of out of Gonzaga here, and, and we just can't do it. And we're still picking them to win the game. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now if Texas wins this game, just looking at their schedule, they are going to be undefeated for a good chunk of time here because Seton Hall on December 9th is the next time they play an opponent inside 190 on Ken Palm, right now at least. Stanford mm-hmm. 66 in Ken Palm's December 19th. They're favored in every game on Kempom except for this Gonzaga game until you get to January 8th in a road date against Oklahoma State, which they're projected to lose by one point and have a 48% chance of winning. I could see Texas, if they win this game, literally being undefeated until conference play. Well, if they win this game, they're the number one team in the country. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I mean, right. Yeah. I think they would have to be at that point because going on the road – I lean that this will be a pretty fun competitive game. And I think Gonzaga pulls away late and wins it by about five to six points would be my what, which right game now. do you think is going to be the more entertaining game? Will it be UCLA Nova? You, th- yeah. you think it'll be. Yeah, because yeah, I, think I just this, think that this, has this game Holmgren. has Texas yeah. is just so I'm really intrigued by this game. These are two teams that we haven't seen a lot from. And just because there's new pieces and stuff like that. And it's also just a big game at Wash. I think this is really intriguing. I think this is one of those games where the ceiling for entertainment is definitely higher, but I just don't see either UCLA or Villanova blowing the other one out. Like, could we see Gonzaga run away with this game? Yeah. Could yeah, that's we true. see a, a, a team without the with the the head cut off of its leader in Gonzaga maybe lose by 10 to 12? Yeah, we could see that. I just think the variance in terms of outcomes is a lot greater in that Gonzaga game. Whereas with UCLA and Nova, I, I it just feels uber competitive and no team's really going to be able to pull out from more than, than five or six points from each other throughout the entirety of the game. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be two really close games throughout, honestly. Two pretty entertaining games. Yeah. I would say as much as... I would say we're leading road dogs, basically, if you're looking at the spread here. Definitely Villanova. I like that spread probably more than I like Texas even, which is kind of weird. But I just feel like you could kind of get cursed by a, a late bucket here from Gonzaga and, and the spread ends up being or the final ends up or being free a throws bit, yeah like, like that nature yeah yeah they could win by 10 but it was really a two three-point game with two minutes left and then you're like why did i even bet and why do i do this to myself but villanova <laughs> has a, a decent shot of winning and texas yeah. i don't really see winning so that's kind of the difference right any upsets you like this weekend and we always do this are our weekend warriors for Ooh. for the season and it's again it, this is a super tough time to do it because there aren't a lot of games between power like you are literally facing outside 300 ken palms in, in a lot of these right. matchups um but here, here's one that i like and it's a friday game kind of if you can find the pac-12 network in the dark internet somewhere then <laughs> then go for it um, but SMU and Oregon, yeah, I, I think call. this might be a year to pony up, and, and I think SMU pony has up. a decent chance to to go out and, and take down Oregon on the road. Yeah, Oregon's battling some injuries, too. I know Quincy Gary is a little hobbled with an ankle injury right now. He was mm-hmm. okay in the opener for them. Fouled I, out. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't or, know if he ended up no, fouling he didn't out, fall out. But, no, no, no. Yeah, but he he was fine. Um, I, okay, so upsets. Colgate NC State on Saturday. Oh, okay. Not saying that's. I mean, that kind of has some potential. NC State. We usually look for like the ranked team to go down, but yeah, there's not a lot that you can do with that right Right. now. I think the only other ranked team, and and I saw that they're not even a favorite in this game, but Florida State is a dog on the road against Florida on Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I kind of like Florida there, but that feels cheating a little bit. I don't know. I don't see a ton, but there will be some for sure. And I'd have to look at it more. I do think some of these ACC teams that are kind of in the middle tier, like Clemson against Wofford. I know that's not a ranked team, but they just didn't look that great in their opener. And they're going to get their best shot from some of these teams that are in that like 100 to 130 on Ken Palm that are actually returning a lot of pieces and, you know, are veteran guys that know their team. Can I interest you in this one? Vermont and Maryland, Maryland, the number 21 team in the country. They struggled a little bit today with George Washington while Vermont went out and caught a big, big victory as a seven point. They won by 14 as a seven point dog. Wow. Yeah, I could, I could get down for Vermont and get behind that one. Yeah, no, I think that's a game to watch for sure. I would also say Alabama's playing South Dakota state. They're 87 in Ken Palm. I would have said Alabama on upset alert, but I thought they looked really good against Louisiana I, Tech. Like, really I, good. I got to say, I yeah. I, I thought there would be... not a, It wouldn't be a hangover because they... they, but they lost like some that dudes, much. right? Like, I was a they little lost, worried like, they might come out a little I was worried about the loss of Herb Jones. Yes. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I was terrified. But this team went <laughs> right. out, and the, they did what they do. They, they played defense, and they knocked down a ton of threes. So what more can you not like here? Right. Yeah, I think it's going to be another fun weekend. Texas Gonzaga, 10:30 Saturday, Villanova, UCLA, 11:30 Friday. Those are the headline matchups. Florida, Florida State's pretty good on Sunday. I would watch that one if you're a college hoops fan. That's like a one o'clock start on Sunday. So 
I don't know. There will be some upsets. We'll be back probably early next week to kind of recap this. And it's just good to have the season back. It's good to be talking about games with fans. I know that's been oversaid, but it really does make a difference. I, it was a little tougher to buy into last year when you're watching games with no one in the stands, right? Like this feels more like college right. hoops. Yeah, this is right. Everything's right now. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our second Made for March of this season. We're here with you guys at least once a week. Going to try and pump out two a week as we get more into the season. Subscribe if you haven't already. Anywhere we get your podcasts, we are there. Totally free to subscribe. And we'll talk to you guys early next week, recapping the weekend slate. The game was over. 